Hello and welcome to another Facebook Live. Uh, today I want to just reflect a little bit on the doctrine of predestination. Um, it's something I've been thinking about a little um, and I watched a, a, a really good lecture by Slavoj Žižek uh, recently. Uh, you can get it on YouTube called Christian Atheism, which is uh, where he looks at this doctrine in some, in some depth. So I thought I would kind of throw out a few reflections on it. Um, it is one of the most disliked doctrines. Um, I, I put up on my social media that I was going to just talk a little bit about it, and I already had lots of people responding saying it was their least favorite doctrine, they thought it was despicable, they thought it was awful. Um, and yet, of course, within Protestantism, it's a, it's a central idea. Uh, progressive and liberal uh, theology generally rejects it completely. But I'm interested in actually looking at it and saying whether actually Luther and Calvin were onto something incredibly important. And that maybe the doctrine of predestination is a theological attempt to break us free from economic modes of living. So what I mean by that is, at its most basic, predestination is the idea that some people are predestined to heaven and double predestination is some people are predestined to heaven and some people are predestined to hell so some people are going to go to hell for all eternity and burn and that is uh, written from the very beginning of time uh, even before the beginning of time and some people are predestined to enjoy eternal bliss and wonder and beauty and that again has been written from the very beginning so when we come into existence, when we enter space and time, it's already been decided whether we will burn in hell or have bliss in heaven. Now, the interesting thing about this is uh, because of this, there is nothing you can do. And absolutely nothing you can do. You can't plead. You can't do good works. You can't uh, dedicate your life to you know, religious devotion or anything like that. There's absolutely nothing you can do. Now, this, this, the reason why I think Luther found this such an interesting idea is Luther was caught up in an economic form of life, which I think is a central um, form of existence for human beings. But it plays out in very uh, raw and dangerous and destructive ways in our economic and political ideologies. The idea that there are things that you can get if you work hard enough for them, or that you do things in order to get something in return. So I give a gift, but I want you to say thank you. I want you to get me a gift in return. Nothing wrong with this in, a, in daily life, but when you exist in a purely economic frame, where everything is given value and everything is a form of exchange, the notion of gift entirely disappears, right? Because a gift is a giving of something without any expectation of return, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a, a form of existence where you give out without expecting or wanting or desiring or libidinally invested in you getting something back, even a thank you. You've heard me say before, but I, I, I like Derrida's notion of the gift, where he says, you know, the perfect gift is a gift where the person doesn't know they've received it, so that they can't, you know, they can't be thankful and say, oh, you're a brilliant person, you gave me a gift, where they don't even know who gave the gift, so they can't actually phone you up and make you feel good, and where you don't even know you've given a gift, so that you can't sit around and go, hey, look, I'm such a great person, I gave a gift. The perfect gift is ironically where you give something 
where you give nothing, nothing is given, the person doesn't know they've received it and you don't know you've given it. And uh, you know, an example of that is giving forgiveness, where maybe you don't even know you're doing it. You just live a certain way that you let, you let so you, you're, you're gracious to other people. And they don't even know you've given that gift. Nothing is given. You can't see it, you know. But it's, it's this form of life where you're not living in exchange. Now, the whole point of the doctrine of predestination was that it was a critique of economic forms of religion where you did works, you did things in order to, you know, get to heaven, in order to avoid hell, in order to get out of purgatory quickly. What happens is when, when it's like, it's kind of a type of atheist doctrine, because once you go, there is nothing I can do, then what you do or don't do is freed from some big other that you have to appease or please or reject or rebel against. You're very... Uh, interaction with this big other that you're trying to you know work to kind of win over or as I say even to attack because you hate all of that is meaningless because there's nothing you can do you can't cajole, cajole you can't convince you can't plead you can't do anything predestination is it's already done so interestingly you just have to forget about it you know and then here's the interesting thing whatever you do or don't do is not motivated by economics. If you see someone who is suffering on the side of the road, uh, you either act or you don't act, but you're not acting for some sort of metaphysical reward. This actually, this form of economic exchange that is built hard-baked into our secular structures, into our secular ideology is broken. So you can see the doctrine of predestination as a very strong critique of capitalism and secularism and this, the notions we're always trying to get something, you know, give something to get something. We're always trying to go somewhere, do this. You can't do anything. You just accept. Now, you could say, well, what about this predestination where everyone gets to heaven? But then, you know, God's like a, a you know, this, this grandpa who's super kind. And then, you, you know, you have to act in order to be grateful. You know, you know, it's like getting too big a present. Like whenever somebody like inundates you with gifts, oh, you don't need to do anything in return. It makes you even more indebted to them. Um, so sometimes like a huge gift is actually a very, very traumatic thing. You don't want it. Um, you know, I've experienced that in terms of like, you know, somebody who, you know, wants to donate something, a large amount, but you know that that donation, although it's a free gift, it's not, it's trying to win over something, even if it's just respect. So I'm the big other. You go like, no, that's, that's problematic. So the idea of pre double predestination, where some people are going to hell, some people are going to heaven, so just forget it and just kind of act, it allows someone to, to be freed from economics, and therefore you begin to see what a person really is. You know, you begin to see whether a person's like, okay, well, I don't care about anybody. I don't care about anything. I'll just do whatever I want to do, right? Or whether a person goes, well, I don't care. You know, um, I, I feel compelled to want to act in the world and do good. Now, the interesting, clever part of predestination is its retroactive aspect, which is that, that there is like a good fruit produces, uh, you know, a, a, sorry, a good tree produces good fruit or faith without works is dead, which is the idea that at the end of your life, at the very end of your life, you can look back and you can see the type of person you were. And that might give you a hint as to, you know, 
the type of person you are as to whether you're a type of person who is um, acting in a Christ-like way or you're a type of person who doesn't. So retroactively, your salvation is given to you. You can never work towards it. You forget it, whatever. But at the end of your life, you might get a glimpse as to whether you're an asshole or a nice person. And at that stage, anyway, it's the autumn of your years. So in this way, predestination, this is why Shizek's interested in it, um, because he sees in it a, a critique of a very fundamental form of existence. When you are striving for something, to get something, all it creates is anxiety. Have I done enough? Is this good enough? You know, when the very striving for some object, and salvation is the ultimate object, um, is, is, in a, is something that will just make you not be able to sleep at night, make you anxious, make you uncertain, you know, never sure whether you have to do more or whatever, right? So all the striving, you see this in, in, in secular society, people are working, they're always trying to appease their boss, they're trying to work harder, they're trying to do this, they're trying to do that, they're trying to earn something as part of, sadly, life. But when you let all of that go, um, you actually can lead a much more kind of relaxed life the anxiety doesn't have the same sting and the same power. So that's, I think that's the worry I have with, because, you know, with kind of progressive and liberal notions, just that actually it feeds into a capitalist kind of ideology an economic form of, of existence that actually causes anxiety that, um, that, that doesn't really get to what real ethics is. Like on that question, you know, the question really here in predestination is not how to be ethical, right? So we're not trying to say, what is, what is it to be ethical? What, what is the right thing to do? The real question is, um, how do we get to a point where we can be ethical or unethical? So in other words, like most people are talking about, well, what, what is an ethical action? Right? What should I do? Should I give money to this person, to this cause? What protest should I be involved in? What, what you know, government officials should I support? All of that. But the more fundamental question is, what does it mean to be an ethical creature? As in a creature who is able to make ethical decisions and make unethical decisions. And the one thing we can all agree on probably is if, if I hold a gun to your head and I say, you know, give money to the poor, well, like whatever that is, it's not ethical. If I give money to the poor, it's because I've got a gun to my head, right? But if I don't have a gun to my head, if I've got no other that I'm trying to appease who's saying that, uh, then I can be ethical. I can either give the money or I can not give the money. I am now an ethical being. So the idea of predestination is not to uh, kind of make you ethical, to kind of you do the right kind of ethical things but is to bring you to the point where you're an ethical creature, where you're a creature who can be unethical, where you're a creature who can act against. By removing the big other, by removing the big other who you can have to you know, please, now you act without compulsion because it's already decided. And when you act without compulsion, you begin to see yourself. You begin to see who you are. And... Uh, you begin to, you enter, let's call it, you enter the realm of, of ethics or morality. You enter the realm where you can actually be a moral creature, a moral subject, rather than a subject who is in an economic world with a gun to your head. Okay, there's some thoughts on, on the doctrine of predestination. As I say, there's a lot more we could talk about. Um, I might even do a Paro seminar on it.
But let's see if any of you have got questions or thoughts or comments. Okay, Jared is saying, he says, love this interpretation of predestination. I can't open the rest of your comment. That's really annoying. What? Oh, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't, my phone won't let me open to see the full comment. So I'll, I'll read what you have and see if I can work it out. Love this interpretation as a critique of economics. However, if this is accurate, then it seems that the doctrine has been perverted, um, at least in the US. Uh, yeah. That's, that's all I can see of your question. But yeah, I think, I think people miss the point of it. I mean, I really do. It's, it's very bizarre to me when people say, oh, it's a terrible doctrine, it's an awful doctrine. I'm going like, it's brilliant. It frees you from thinking about God and the salvation and the heavens. I mean, the whole point of predestination is like grace. It's, it's designed, you know, grace again, like I, I did a, a seminar on it. Uh, where I said grace is not, oh, you'll get a second chance to, to do better or, you know, hey, don't worry about it, whatever. Grace is, a, is this radical, you don't have to do anything. Grace breaks you free from the economic thing. Instead of grace being the oil that like lets you kind of move towards your ideal a little better by forgiving you, giving you a second chance, saying it's okay. Grace is the very thing that breaks the economic system where you're trying to always achieve something. And again, predestination is the same. People have reintegrated the doctrine into economics. They think that it's a, some kind of cruel way of, uh, of thinking, but actually the whole point of predestination is it's a theological and you know, medieval in a sense way of, of breaking you free from economics. It's kind of a crypto atheist doctrine in the sense that you for, who cares about what's going on in the heavens? Who cares about salvation and damnation? Because there's nothing you can do about it. But you're absolutely right. What we've done is we've, we've lost this actually really powerful kind of critique that this has for modern ideology. This very, and it's funny, it's the atheist philosophers like Shizak who are seeing this going, oh my goodness, you know, a few Christians don't want predestination. We'll take it because it's a great critique of economics and economic modes of being. But yeah, for some reason... People in, in, in churches, it's more about is it true or is it not, um, rather than what is the existential form of life that this expresses. And uh, you know, so and you know, we've lost what potentially the existential form is in this doctrine. Now, you know, there's other ways of expressing it, absolutely. But but the, but the theological insight of Calvin and Luther was simply that this doctrine gets you to forget about all the ridiculous stuff about salvation and damnation. It's, it's the, it gets you to forget about that, and it helps you become a moral creature, which means it helps you become an immoral creature because you have to you act um, freely, and uh, then you see what you're really made of. Uh, okay, uh, April says, if predestination is a belief, how can people who deviate from the values of society be free, like serial killers? No one preaches this as a norm. Well, so predestination is the idea that some will go, are predestined to salvation, some to damnation. So let me see. Predestination is a belief. And I'm not talking about it as a, as a belief, as in, well, it is a belief, but what is its, what is its meaning? What is its, not, what is its uh, symbolic value? What is its existential value? But how can people who deviate from the values of society be free? Uh, serial killers, whatever. Yet, for me, this is not about deviating because serial killers are often psychotics, so they have a very, you know, they have voices and 
you know, telling them to do things. It's about, I, but it's about being subtracted from a big other. Uh, so in a weird sense, yeah, that, that's what I'm saying about this predestination thing. It doesn't make you good. That doesn't at all. But um, uh, it's, it frees you from, from doing good or bad things because someone is telling you to. And you know that old saying, which is to make bad people do bad things, you don't need much. But to get good people to do bad things, you need a big other. Right? You need destiny, history, God, whatever. You know, bad people, you know, if you're, you're, you're probably just going to go crazy. But if, if you're a good person, if I, want, if I want you to do something bad, my goodness, I've got to give you a big other. Whereas predestination frees you from the big other. I think that's its existential meaning anyway. Uh, John Stevens, what can we expect at your next event in New Jersey? Man, fireworks, got pyrotechnics. I'm going to do some interpretive dancing and uh, uh, flag waving. No, um, I, I, you know, I'll just be talking about pyrotheology and we're going to have a whole day together, the theory and the practice of, of my ideas. So hopefully you can come along. Uh, Sarah, oh, sorry, this, this perspective is a breath of fresh air. Predestination as a way of thinking about grace. Um, I'll be thinking of this for a long time. Oh, thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. I really do. Um, Mary, feels like freedom to be authentic. Yes. Here's the thing. I mean, the reason why I want to talk about this is it's, it's, little, it's partly because I know the doctrine has got such a bad rep. But it actually, I think, once, once you look at it from this approach, and I think this is, this is the way it was meant, um, uh, it actually is quite beautiful. It's quite a wonderful thing. And it's so easy for us to get caught up in, uh, you know, kind of uh, the, the belief side of it and the kind of whatever. But to actually go like, what was, it, what was Luther getting at? Well, he was so anxious, always trying to please. He was always trying to do something. He was always, he, he, you know, so Luther was riven with, with anxiety. He was very neurotic. And so that's why grace and predestination are two of his central insights. Because both of them are freedom from the economic form where you're always trying to you know, make the superego happy. You're always trying to make the big other happy and you never succeed. So it, it's not surprising to me that Luther was able to, who's a, who's a very smart guy as well, was able to you know, give grace and predestination this weight and this depth um, and this density because he experienced these as a breath of fresh air. They were both in different ways doing the same thing, which was saying, you can't do anything, don't do anything, just be. But in that space of being, you now become a subject who can act freely. And his, his whole thing is like, if I was doing a talk on this, I would want to connect grace and predestination. Predestination doesn't make you good. It just gets you to the point where you can be an ethical subject. But grace is then the mechanism that helps you, I think, become a more beautiful person. And these two are very interrelated. So I think we need to return to the radical kernel of this notion because it has a fascinating critique of contemporary society. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for checking in. Um, I hope I've maybe had some, you know, some of you are thinking about predestination in a different way. Maybe some of you aren't and that's totally fine as well. It's okay to be wrong. <laughs> um, I'll, uh, I'll do another one of these probably um, next week and uh, look forward to talking to you then. I really appreciate you checking in. I appreciate your support and you being part of this journey with me. Take care.